Hello and good afternoon, everybody. Uh, or is it good morning, good evening, good good evening, good afternoon? Maybe good good afternoon works for me. It's afternoon here in Miami, Florida, and uh, I hope it's going to be a lovely day for you guys too. Happy Easter, uh, happy Hanukkah. No, it's not Hanukkah. My goodness, that is terrible, isn't it? Happy Passover, I meant to say. I'm so sorry about this. Um, I'm coming to that because I work in a supermarket in my spare time and uh, as kind of my day job. And what I didn't know is that both Coca-Cola and Pepsi have a special version of their beverages for the Passover period. And they're made without, what's it called, the um, corn syrup. And yeah, high fructose corn syrup, because that's derived technically from a grain, and you're meant to have grain during the Passover period. They're both released versions that are not just kosher, they're kosher all year round, but these are specifically kosher for Passover. I never knew this. You learn something new every day. One of those things. I thought I'd share that with you. And they have yellow caps, so if ever you come across a bottle of Coke with a yellow cap, that's probably one with sugar, and it's kosher for Passover. So there we go. Learn something new today. Thank you so much for joining me, David and Mr. Wise and Biscuits. Hello to Holland and to uh, anywhere else in the world. Actually, David, you live in France. Is that correct, if I remember that right? And uh, Mr. Wise, I don't really know where you live, but, you know, so potentially good afternoon, potentially good evening. I'm not entirely sure. I've got something, uh, I've got a couple of bits of news. One is uh, something that we've been dealing with, I love it. There's, uh, I've, we've been dealing with something uh, when I put these tracks up in the front. Uh, there's a, a lovely musician, Nick Gibbs, whose music I've played a couple of weeks ago. And it turns out that his record label, it's not kind of a record label, but it's CD Baby, they flagged this track as copyrighted. So I had a bit of an issue getting that revoked because I was legally using his claim. And uh, just a couple of days ago, that has happened. So I'm kind of glad that this, uh, this is over now because it was in the air for about three weeks. And it's just not nice when you're doing something that's technically legal, but you get flagged for doing something wrong anyway. One of those things. So I hope, uh, you know, that's, that's going to be alleviated. I have... My goodness, a frog in my throat. And some other bits uh, have happened. So a couple of weeks ago, I wanted to do this stream and it didn't work because my computer kind of, you know, freaked out on me. There was just a big red, yellow, well, red flashing light up there and it just didn't really want to work. And so I've ordered a new one, same model. It's a HP Z600. David and I have been talking about this already. David, oh my God, I got to tell you this. David has this amazing HP Z820 computer. That's if you've ever seen them, they're really big work stations large kind of desktop workstations with a phenomenal power supply and david's been able to put three gtx 1080 ti graphics cards in there three of them and that is just such a cool idea to do that because the power supply is kind of okay to do it and you've got three cards working in tandem so the DAS Studio performance, I know you've sent me uh, some render results there um, about how fast that card can render with that, with that um, scene that I've put up there a few weeks ago, which I'm going to make a, a specific article and a specific video about so that I can collate all the data. And it rendered like in, what, six, seven minutes? It's amazing, absolutely. So um, on that note, I have also, I have bought a new one, which is this one. Oh, here it is this arrived two days ago which is so exciting and it wasn't the configuration that i wanted so i did some uh, messing around with it uh, put two new cpus in have i got the old cpu here somewhere no 
I was going to show you what a Xeon CPU looks like. It's a very nice flat little thing that's very exciting. So um, yes, that's happened. So I'm going to build myself a new computer for which I'm going to buy a new graphics card. I'm thinking about an RTX 2080. Not sure if I can afford the TI version, nor do I know if it's going to work in the Z600, but that's the plan. Well, Biscuits has got her tea ready. In that case, let's let's begin. So something else that's very exciting that has happened. Uh, I've reached 5,000 subscribers on YouTube, which is something that is just phenomenal. I had never imagined this was going to happen. And in the spirit of that, I was going to build myself a little animation that I could show as the channel trailer. So uh, here it is. Uh, this is the static image that I've made there. And this is something I'd like to animate today. So uh, the what I did here was I just typed out these text elements in Blender and extruded them to get 3D shapes. And I could have done everything in Blender there, but I thought I'm going to bring all these things over. Thank you so much, Mr. Wise. <laughs> Thank you. It is something I had never expected to happen. It's one of those things. It's uh, I started this channel as a kind of a cloud storage for videos 10 years ago for clients that I just wanted to explain something quickly to and that kind of grew into this I have a personal channel as well but I thought I'd keep them separate and this is kind of this has kind of just happened you know I mean it's uh, over the last year or two I've taken more care of the channel than before and it serves a good purpose for me when I found something that I'm thinking, oh, I mustn't forget that. And then I either write an article about that or I just make a quick video to remind a future self of how that worked. And I'm, I'm so thrilled that so many people found that interesting. And, you know, there we go. So 5,000 subscribers later, uh, we're here live with one another. It, it is it is absolutely marvelous. So thank you so much for sharing that moment with me. So. These are text shapes or just just letters from with a with a font. I've typed them out. I have turned them into meshes and then extruded them. And then I brought that into Das Studio because I wanted to show you how to create your own AniBlocks. So those are little non-linear animation blocks with which you can apply the same animation to another object and this is exactly what we're going to do we're going to try and animate the five dropping down and kind of doing doing this kind of thing you know falling down on the floor and just bumping a little bit and we're going to create that animation once with keyframes and then we're going to turn that into an aniblock and then apply that aniblock to these objects here the zero objects and then we don't have to reanimate them. And in so doing, we can then put little variations in there so that it almost looks like this has been created with physics. Speaking of which, I have thought about creating this with physics, the 5000. And sadly, I mean, it kind of works, but uh, you know what physics are like. You, you drop a, an object down and it just kind of rolls away. So it doesn't really mean it, it comes up as a 5000 later. So I thought I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this manually and then we get both these applications involved. Okay, the material shader. Yes, by the way, that is just the, uh, the just the, the regular uh, gold shader that comes with Das Studio. That's the gold shader, and the floor is something along the lines of uh, an aluminium alloy kind of shader. So we're gonna we're gonna see how to do that. Luckily, we don't have to worry about. Um, What's the word? UV mapping these objects because we just we, we, the latest version of Blender looks like when you export something, it already has kind of standard UVs on there, so we can apply surfaces to the object, which is great.
The only thing that I may or may not do, I'm not entirely sure about that yet, is that you can see these these indentations here on the numbers and they look kind of cool but they happen more or less by accident because when you turn a text object into a shape in Blender the geometry is usually not great and this is exactly what we're seeing here so this these uh, these riffles on the side here that's basically bad geometry so if you wanted to add uh, something along the lines of a of a ring loop here so to stabilize the geometry then you'd have to probably look at it different way but I'll, I'll show you the pros and cons of this the pros are of course it's super easy and super quick to make and uh, this this artifact only happens when you apply a subdivision surface modifier to it and for that the geometry needs to be kind of more stabilized and we need to put more edge loops in and that was very difficult with this type of broken geometry well, there we go. I know exactly. And with the gold effect, biscuits, it kind of it just looked fantastic. So I thought, hmm, maybe we'll just leave it that way. But we'll, we'll let's let's have a look at uh, at how we can do this in um, uh, in Dash Studio and start from the very beginning. Let's in fact let's start in Blender. Well, that's another challenge. So I'm using Blender 2.8, the latest beta version, and I'm kind of used to Blender 2.79. I'm not really used to the new Blender interface. I mean, who, who is? I mean, nobody is really. And uh, I'm also I'm more used to using Blender on a Mac. And on a Mac, the keyboard or the kind of the navigational properties are very different to the ones that are in, in Windows. So in Windows, you hold the middle mouse button uh, down for tumbling around an object. You roll the middle mouse button to zoom in and out and you hold something along the lines of shift down with the middle mouse button to pan the scene. And on the Mac, this is just so much cooler because uh, I have a trackpad with my Mac and that just recognizes gestures. And that is just so cool. You can literally just uh, uh, open it up and down and it's, it's, it's a fantastic way to literally touch your scene. It's almost like VR on a 2D screen, if you know what I mean. So there we go. Let's begin in uh, this brand new scene with Blender 2.8. We don't really need the timeline for this, so I can, should I close them? Should I, should I leave it open? Maybe I'll try and close it. So the, the, the way to open and close windows in Blender still works the same way. There's this top left corner here. And if you click on that and drag it up, then you get this, this arrow. And that means now the timeline would jump into the full screen view we don't want to do that so we just drag it down and now the timeline just vanishes and disappears there we go that's that's what we want i'm happy to leave everything in the scene except for the cube so i'm just going to select it and hit x and delete the cube and start with a bit of a text object so that once again this is kind of difficult to find i only remember how to insert it because there's this thing called shift a and that brings up this menu here and with shift a you can just go and uh, start creating anything you like so in my case that's a text object can you guys see that here is that is that visible maybe if i do it here then yeah, maybe there we go. Shift A, and then you can create a text object. There used to be menu items for that, but I really don't remember where they are. 
There's one other thing I just wanted to point out. So on the on this thing here where it says uh, underneath the add a text object to the scene, there's this gray text, and that is the Python tip. And that is something that I don't really uh, use, so I don't really want to see that. There's always one, whichever thing you hover over, it always comes up with that gray underline here where it says Python window dot workspace. And unless you're a Blender developer, you really don't need to know that. So <laughs> I'm thinking it's easy to switch that off under uh, under file. And uh, no, it's not in Blender 2.8. It's not under file anymore. It's under edit and it's under preferences. There we go. And in preferences, there's under interface, uh, there's these options here, Python tooltips. And if you switch those off, then there's no more of these tooltips. If you want to save that, which I will do, just go and click and save your preferences. And then this uh, will Blender will remember this for, for uh, future sessions. So once again, if we go Shift A, and if we go uh, text now, then all we get is uh, the add text object to the scene with nothing underneath it. So it's kind of you know it's nice to to just you know calm my very cluttered mind already. So there we go. The text object comes in like that. It's flat. Whoops wrong key there we go and it uses the so-called blender font or the b font and we can change whatever the text says as well as the properties of course so let's change what the text says for now uh, we go into edit mode with tab and then we just delete that and write out the number 5000 technically and then we hit tab again to get out of edit mode technically we don't actually need the number 5000 all we need is the, uh, one five and one zero and the rest we can just deal with in Dash studio once these things are 3d objects but we'll, we'll come to that in a moment maybe we'll delete two zeros here we'll, we'll see what happens now the font that blender uses here right now is the so-called blender font or b font that comes with blender ships with blender but we don't need to actually use that we can turn that into another one and we can do that in object mode which is where we are right now so tab toggles you between object mode and edit mode object mode is kind of the mode in which you assemble bits together in your scene and then edit mode is where you make adjustments to a single selected object so for example if it's a vertex object you could make you could push vertices around you can extrude things and so forth if it's a text object you can amend the things that the that the tech they like the properties of the text or what it says actually and uh, if it's a uh, there's there's other things depending on what type of object it is edit mode is always going to be a little bit different but in our case it'll it'll mean we can change the text so but uh, the object mode allows us to also change the font and that is happening uh, on the bottom right here this the, the all these logos are new all these palettes are new in blender 2.8 so if you're used to 2.7 uh, 9 and before this looks completely different so we're interested in this little a icon here if we click on that we get to see a lot of text properties and one of which is of course paragraph which we can close down we don't need to see that but one is the font so if we open font we have four options here regular bold italic and bold and italic and they're telling us open a file browser uh, which lets me now go to the on the mac it's in the top library i believe library font at the top here top left corner if you see this little icon that has four squares on it that usually gives you the thumbnail preview if you're dealing with images but i'm very happy to have discovered just now that it also lets you uh, pick the actual font so that makes the i, I know very cool 
How does the video signal look, by the way? Um, that you, is it is it a little bit wonky? Oh, that's not good, is it? Is it okay now? It's better now, is it? Oh, okay. Hmm. Interesting. Let me just have a one one quick look at my streaming software here before we continue. Has it? Oh, yeah. It has dropped some frames. I don't really know why, but it's good now, right? That's 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 all we need to know then. Good stuff. Hiccups. There's always things you learn. So one one of the things I've learned today was that uh, you really have to give YouTube like five minutes before you start streaming so that all the packets are kind of finding the the same path into the YouTube server, I believe. Sometimes um, when I stream, it happens that, uh, that just when I start out, the first five minutes, it really is up and down and then it kind of settles down. So it's one of those things. That's, that's part of the five minute holding loop there. Well, thanks for letting me know, guys. So with my 5000 written out now, I'd like to extrude the object. So extruding means um, if, if you had, if, if, this was a, if this was a plain object and you extrude it, you just basically pick up the, the vertices at the top and just pull it out and just make it, make it, um, make it thicker and adding, adding more geometry in there. And that's exactly what we're going to do. But we can't do that right now because it's not, uh, it's not a 3D object that we can extrude. So what we'll do is we'll have to convert this object to something that is a 3D object so we can extrude it. And uh, there is there's one thing, there is an option that we can do that with. And I, either you can uh, uh, use it, use the right click now, just convert to mesh that option here. Uh, and if you click that, then uh, the properties of this object will change. So one of the things you'll notice is that the text icon, the font icon has gone away. And this icon in the uh, top left to top right here has also changed from a font object to now a 3D object. And that's important because now when we hit tab, we can't change the text anymore. And our font looks very different now. In fact, it looks like we have proper vertices to deal with, and this is kind of part why it uh, why the geometry looks looks a little bit broken. So, in an ideal world, we wouldn't have all these intersecting bits and bobs here. But you know, we'll just live with it, and it's it's fine. To extrude an object in Blender in edit mode, it's very easy to hit A to select everything you want to extrude, then just hit E, and then pull your mouse up. Or you can also pull it into any other direction. But if you just pull it up, then it'll just extrude into that direction. So I think that's kind of, you know, that's that's thick enough. And that's really all we wanted to do here in in the uh, edit mode, in the vertex editor. I could potentially edit it. Uh, I could extrude it a little bit further. Maybe I will we'll actually do that with the control Z. You can go back and just go E and extrude maybe a little bit, maybe a little bit thicker, maybe like maybe something like that. That'll work. That'll work. Okay, so uh, that is almost all we need to do. We could export the object now, but the issue now is, of course, it's it's one solid object. So we want really we want all the numbers to be split up so we can use them individually in Das Studio. So that's one thing we need to quickly address. And we're clicking A again, we will select everything. Clicking A again and again and again, we should at one point in Blender 2.79 it would eventually deselect everything. So we'll leave the 5 as it is and we'll just uh, select everything that this 0 has to offer, the second 0. And I can do that by uh, hovering, so not clicking, just hovering over the next, over this object and pressing L. 
And what L will do is it will select everything that is currently linked with one another. So any face, any, all the faces that are linked on the current object, they will be selected like that. And now I can go and um, I believe it's P. Yes, there we go. I can press P and then that allows me to separate the selection out into a different object. So P means selection by material or by loose part. So I want to split this out by selection. Click on that and then that turns kind of gray and solid. And also in the uh, top right corner, I get a separate text object. So now I have two. I've got the five a space and two zeros and I've got the zero separately and that's almost all I want to do really I want to just keep the five and the zero so what I could uh, potentially do is just select uh, all these faces and all these faces and then just go hit X and then go and um, uh, delete the vertices so that I'm in this object if I hit tab then I'll just uh, stick with two text objects one is a five one is the zero maybe gonna just gonna name those so this is the five so that's just for for my benefit here click the zero and uh, call it zero rather than you know text dot zero zero one that's just you know not great there we go Now, uh, with this with this done, we can we can export these objects and head over to Das Studio and do do some work on these things. Oh, actually, maybe there's one other thing I may want to do here. I want to rotate these things around. I want them to stand up correctly. So uh, with the zero selected, I just go and hit R. And now if I rotate my mouse or move my mouse, then it just rotates any which way. We don't really want to do that. So let's click escape and just make sure it rotates properly just around the X axis here. That's the red axis. So I'll go and click R followed by X, which will now constrain the rotation to the x-axis so now when I move my mouse it only ever rotates around the x-axis which is great but rather than doing this arbitrary I'd like to rotate this 90 degrees exactly so all I need to do then is type 90 and that'll do exactly that followed by enter that's my zero rotated just the way I want it and I'll do exactly the same with a five so click the five hit R X 90 enter and that's that done I love that about Blender, but of course, if you don't know about this, how are you going to find out? So that's one of those things. Blender 2.8 has so many other cool things uh, to offer. So right now, I believe shading here, uh, I can literally just uh, switch that over to something other like, you know, matcap. This was this was working 2.79 already, but uh, I think they've just improved the interface a little bit. So now it looks like something I'm doing in uh, ZBrush. This is kind of the ZBrush shader there. Very exciting stuff. But you can also, I believe they also have that new rendering engine, which is Eevee. And that is something really cool. That is something we're going to maybe touch on in a future episode. You can literally preview results like you would in cycles, but without the delay. So Eevee is, uses cycles materials from what I understand, but it does so in real time. So it's not 100% there just yet, but it is real time rendering inside Blender. And whoa, that is just something we really have been waiting for. So perhaps we're going to uh, touch on that maybe in another episode. Right now, let's select the five and export it so that we can use it in Das Studio. And we're going to do that by heading over to File, Export, and we're going to choose Wavefront OBJ. 
and that gives us another uh, file browser here. I think I'm going to go and do that on my desktop and maybe on the desktop I will create a new folder. That's this little icon here. That's how you can create a new folder. Also has a shortcut, but yeah, new folder. I'm going to call it uh, numbers. And in numbers, I'm going to go and save my object. So this is the file name. Just give it anything like I'm going to call it five. Uh, very, very important now at the bottom left hand corner, those are the export options for Blender. And unless you specifically tick this one up here, selection only, Blender will export everything. And that is not necessarily what we want. So uh, you can, this is uh, expandable, this menu as well, or you can scroll down here. Selection only, so that only my five is exported, not the camera, not the light, not anything else. And then uh, at the bottom, we have uh, a scale factor. Uh, Blender scale and the Das Studio scale, they vary very much. And I don't really know by how much, but I can tell you that if you change the scale exporting from Blender to about 100, if you make your export 100 times bigger, then it'll arrive relatively good size in Das Studio without having to muck around with the size there. That's really all we need to do. Blender is also kind enough to option you that the forward axis is uh, minus Z forward or minus Z forward and that Y is up. Um, Blender uses, I believe, Z as up, whereas Das Studio uses Y as up and that uh, Carrara also uses Y as up. So those are, the, those are things, or uses Z as up, sorry. Those can be sometimes confusing and the object will be brought in kind of lying the other way that you hadn't expected it. So Blender nowadays offers you this as a as a default so you don't have to worry about it anymore and if you import this into das studio as we'll see in a moment uh, things will look okay let's do the same with the zero so just select the zero and select file export wavefront obj and call that zero and once again blender is kind enough to remember what we've just selected so selection only has been remembered and the scale has also been remembered so let's export that. And that's that done in uh, Blender so far. We may come back to it, if, especially if I've made a mistake. <laughs> let's hope that's not the case. And let's go into Das Studio. I'm using, which version am I using here? I'm using about Das Studio. I'm using 4.11, the beta version. So that means we have that wonderful denoiser at our disposal. Perhaps that'll come in handy. Yes, I'm thinking of getting a, an RTX 2080. Did I tell you this? That does online denoising. Amazing idea, amazing idea. I don't, I don't think I'm going to be able to afford the TI version, but certainly the regular version for about $700. I think I can just about swing that. So a client of mine owes me some money. So perhaps if when, when he pays up, I can finally do that. Okay, let's bring those numbers in the five and the zero that happens uh, up here with um, file and import and then a little uh, file open thing comes up and we have numbers there we go let's open the number five and we also get an import dialog courtesy of das studio and you can probably just uh, use the regular das studio preset here which equals one unit as one centimeter. I think that's where Blender and Dash Studio really differ, the, the units, how they're interpreted. There is, in case you uh, had spotted that, there is a Blender 
import preset here, but that's broken. Has been for many years. I don't think DAS will ever fix it. So this, if you export something from Blender and then you import it like that, it's not going to work well. I mean, something will be imported, but it's not going to work that well. So uh, just use the DAS Studio uh, import and just hit accept. And then we'll see that we have indeed our number five, which is standing up right. That's exactly what we want. It looks a little bit over bright right now. And that's because it has not got the correct uh, surfaces applied to it. So I don't think the the correct iRay surfaces are applied. I, I, I'm assuming we're using iRay for rendering and that's just not an iRay object right now or the surfaces are not set up correctly. Let's have a look with the five selected under surfaces under the editor. Let's have a look what it what it looks like. Yes, it looks like these are the 3D light surface properties. So, okay, with, with that selected, none, by the way, is the actual surface that covers everything here. So uh, Blender's put that in place. I believe in, in previous versions of Blender, you literally had nothing here. And if you don't have a single surface property defined, then you won't be able to put a shader on it, which is terrible. So uh, right now, this seems to work and we didn't have to UV wrap or UV unwrap the object in Blender. That's, that's very good to remember. But with this selected, very important, if you don't do that, if you just select the object, no surface is selected. So for our surface tweak now, we need to not only select the object, we also need to select the surface here. Head over to presets and then under shaders, you've got the iRay option over here. And in iRay, you've got literally however many iRay shaders you've got installed on your system. The very first one that starts with an exclamation mark is the iRay Uber Base, and that will apply the proper iRay surface properties to the object. So double click that, and now we can see that the object looks a little bit healthier, so it doesn't look that white and burned out anymore. And also, if we go back to the editor, we can now see that the surface properties themselves have changed. So that's very good to know. And with that in place, we can now apply any other shader that we want. So, for example, that gold shader that I'm going to apply there later. Uh, maybe I can do that. I do that right now while we're talking about it. And because Biscuits liked it, so there we go. Let's do that. That is under Metal. So shaders, iRay and then metal. There's uh, some very nice reflective shaders here. I'm thinking I'm using the gold shader and you know, looks a little bit more golden already. So we'll, we'll see how that, how that continues. Let's bring in the second number. Same thing, uh, file, import, and let's bring in the zero. And we'll leave everything as it is. And there's the zero. So with the zero selected, once again, under editor, I'll select zero and make sure the surface is selected as well. And I'm also going to apply that gold shader. See if that works. Yeah, there we go. So if you already have a shader in mind that you want to use, you can apply that directly. And then the surface properties should change accordingly. Now, because I'd like to use the number 5000, I say while we're here, let's duplicate the zero a couple of times so that we have 5000 next to one another. And that is happening uh, up here in the edit menu. With that object selected, you can hit edit, duplicate, 
and then there's two options here duplicate nodes and duplicate node hierarchies in our case it's not going to make a difference but i'll just choose the first one nodes will be if uh, if your object has more than one node if there's like on a, on a figure for example you have these little triangles that you can open and things uh, kind of expand from there like a parent-child hierarchy or grouped hierarchy if you have anything like that then you should use the uh, other option that we've had here which was uh, duplicate node hierarchies I don't have any uh, but if you had any that you also want to duplicate use that because otherwise only the top one will be duplicated with duplicate nodes so I'll just do that again and here we now have several zeros in the same place so let's put that one here and then our next zero will be over here uh -huh. now no, it's okay we're going to change that anyway with the animation that we're going to create now so good i think the only thing we're missing is a bit of ground that we can see some reflections in so while we're here why don't we just create that as well that's a simple primitive let's bring that in from create new primitive and let's create a plane 30 meters is, is a good start let's maybe we'll use 300 meters there that goes right into the horizon there that's perfect primitives when created with das studio 4.11 by the way they are already created with the correct iray materials applied so this is very important to remember because back in the day with das studio 4.10 we had three delight uh, surfaces applied which woo david thank you so much for your donation how exciting that is really cool i love it when that happens dave you're, you're the man thank you so much that is exciting this is really encouraging when that happens did you get uh, that little animation with the zombie walking ah oh, yes fantastic that's really good that's really good thank you so much david i really appreciate that <laughs> that is so cool so um the good news is uh, with das studio 4.11 we get those surface properties applied already so uh, like we s we've seen a minute ago uh, these would be these would look different they wouldn't look uh, they wouldn't look like this they would look uh, they'd have um, uh, what was it called again they have opacity and all that uh, at the top menu here and uh, diffuse and all that so we don't we don't really get that anymore with iray property so that's really good um, but if they wouldn't have that you probably have to go via this uh, via this iray uber base shader luckily we don't have to do that anymore <laughs> i'm so glad yes that, that little zombie is uh, provided by streamlabs and there they do all these kinds of things for, for free and I think if you give them money you, you have your own animations in there maybe in the future I'll think about doing that it's very exciting I have a little dancing alien the alien from poser and I've animated him with Aniblocks and it looks really nice I love that to be the animation when there's a when there's a super chat donation happening so see what the future brings I don't quite remember which shader I've used for the still I've showed you there in the beginning this one here uh, this was some metal but it wasn't 100% shiny I think it was something along the lines of maybe the magnesium alloy let's try that magnesium alloy with the plane selected and with the default surface selected magnesium alloy let's try that we hardly see a difference here but as soon as we switch this over to iray we should see that this is getting some reflections here that's very good 
So um, we'll worry about the render settings a little bit later. I guess we'll just work on the animation for now. And then we'll see how we how we want to deal with with the rest of it. There's one thing that we should think about at this point already. Uh, the that is the the way these letters look like, the, the the numbers look like. So the what I did here, and I did this entirely in Das Studio, is I added a subdivision surface modifier to the to the objects. And what that is, or what, what that does basically, is that it goes and implies more polygons than they are actually there. So every polygon is divided into uh, into basically uh, four polygons, if they're quads. And when that happens, there are more polygons that are not geometry in the object. They're just implied uh, in um, in at, at render time. So basically in iRay as well as in the viewport. And that means surfaces are usually uh, slightly smoother if the geometry supports it. So in our case, if I do that, let me just zoom into the number five here and if I do that, let me just go and undo, uh, remove the aspect frame here. If I head over now to edit object geometry, convert to sub D, if that's still on the screen, I hope it is. When you click that, then you see that my five looks very different. And that is because currently my geometry isn't exactly great so what <laughs> what i'm seeing here is that things are kind of falling in on one another to alleviate that at the 3d stage i should have put uh, at least two more ring loops here and here and then kind of make sure that the geometry can't completely collapse that is being held up a little bit more so i could have done that on the sides but i should have also done that at the front and because of the way the geometry looks that wasn't really possible, so uh, or not easily possible. And this is what the geometry looks like now, and it doesn't look that pretty. It did look pretty in the render, which is good to know. So maybe we can we can see if we wanted to do that afterwards. But for now, I'm I'm thinking I'm gonna I'm gonna not use that, and it makes it look a little bit better. Once you've applied a subdivision surface modifier, you can't actually get rid of it. You can't undo that, but you can check that you can you can ask Das Studio not to use the high resolution display for that and that happens in the parameters tab so once again with the object selected there's this thing under mesh resolution if I'm going to switch over to the zero quickly then we can see that I also have that but we can't actually whoops we can't actually do anything other than base but on the five if I've gone select the five then I get all these other options which let me do many other things and one of them is switch from high resolution to base resolution I can also add how many subdivision levels I'd like to add here so I could if I crank this number up <clears throat> it's currently set sorry about that it's uh, currently set to one in the sorry in the in the uh, sub d view level it's currently set to one if i crank that up to two then you can see what happens to the objects so they the more and more polygons are applied or implied shall i say and therefore the smoother the object gets and the only thing i can do to alleviate that so i've got two options here one is in fact for the 
the preview in my view and one is for the render so i could view the object with a low resolution in the viewport to save up on my on my ram there a little bit and just crank it up for the render and then let the render engine deal with all these implied polygons i can do that separately but i can also just change that back to base and then that is as good as just getting rid of the subdivision surface modifier completely so I'm going to go with that and let's worry about the animation now because that's the exciting part. But I think everything is exciting really, <laughs> but it's one of those things. Animation is particularly exciting to me. That's, that's what I'm thinking. So let's begin with the number five and animate the number five. And once we've done that with keyframes, we can then turn that into an anti-block and then apply that to the other zeros and then add uh, variations into that. To begin with, let's open our timeline at the bottom. I've got the two tabs open, that's animate and the timeline. Animate is the kind of non-linear block type thing, whereas the timeline is just for traditional keyframes. And that's what we have in Blender as well. I believe Blender also has uh, some non-linear animation functions, but I've never looked into them. So that's something else on my, on my long list of things to, things to try out. So right now, with the number five selected, anytime I move the number five, I get a little keyframe here. That's the super tiny black triangle here that wasn't there before uh, I've just moved it. And just to explain the principle, if I now go ahead and move the slider to somewhere else, like number five or frame number five, I can go and uh, move the number perhaps down again and look what happens to that little triangle it, it comes back so uh, now we have two keyframes one is at frame zero and one's at frame five so right now this is what happens frame zero is the starting position and frame five is the ending position and anytime i change any parameter so anything lights um, objects in the scene cameras and all that any slider that I can move can be animated and recorded as a keyframe, which is very cool. It's also very scary sometimes because it happens inadvertently that you're on frame 20 and you think actually my character needs to be a little bit further back. And then of course the character is only back at frame, at frame 20 and not at frame zero where it is completely in a different position. So it's, uh, it's always good to know how to get rid of these keyframes if uh, inadvertently you've uh, created one so right now if I go back to the number five here frame five uh, I can hit that little X icon at the bottom it's this little I don't think I have a zoom key set up for that but this little X here if I click that then that keyframe goes away and my number or my object goes back to the position that it was in before I can also do that on frame zero so I'm going to go and uh, hit X and then it goes back to its default position So I'm thinking I'm going to switch that that aspect frame back on and frame up my number just where I'd like the end position to be, just roughly, perhaps something like that. And I'm going to go and create a camera that'll just look at this position. I think that's going to be a good start. Create new camera, copy active viewport, the perspective view. And now if I can change to my camera, that view is going to stay as it is right now. Whereas when I go back to my perspective view, I can now go and run around and do other things. So that's going to be, that's going to be good. 
So with the number five selected now, I'm gonna go and on frame zero, I'm gonna go and move that up quite a bit. So out of frame some, let's see. Uh, ideally, I probably have two viewports. Maybe I'll use my auxiliary viewport here and look at the camera here. That's a good idea. Camera here, perspective view here. And then I can see when my number five comes into vision. There we go. So I'm gonna go and leave it out like this. That's a good starting position. And while I've done it, the timeline has already created a keyframe here for me. I'm thinking of about a two second animation for this. That's a good, uh, that's a good start. So at the bottom uh, left, we can see how many frames in total we have, which is 31. Range currently is zero to 30. And uh, if we wanted to extend those uh, frames, we can just add the range and make the range, uh, say, 60. So if we, oh, no, we can't do that. Why can't we do that? That's terrible, isn't it? Oh, total, sorry, yes, total. Let's put 61 frames in there. And now we have, if we're thinking of a 30-frame animation, 30 frames per second, we're having a two-second animation here. And I think what I'd like to do is, I, I guess the the number would fall down and then kind of bounce once or twice. So I think it'll it'll fall within the first second and then bounce once or twice and then just sit there, not move. That's that's kind of my plan. So with that uh, first keyframe in place already, let's move the playhead further over to maybe to frame 25. I'm just guessing. You will see what it looks like. At frame 25, I'd like the number to reach the bottom. Now, to be able to tell when that happens, I can either look and see when the number five goes and dives into the floor. Or I can go and change this to the front view and then see if, uh, if I get a clearer view of that. So in the front view, I'd like to just go to zero at that at that point here. Perhaps the bouncing may happen to, you know, five, five frames. I'm thinking three to five frames. Perhaps it goes and bounces five frames up again. So in five frames, it just goes and, and jumps up to here. And since it'll do that slightly slower than when it falls down, I think three frames later, just from the top of my head here, uh, the number will reach the bottom again and then again three frames later uh, perhaps it'll just jump one little tiny bit more and then two frames later I guess it'll go back to the floor and that's where it shall remain. Don't really know if that's going to look good or not but let's let's just have a look let's just have a look through our main camera and see what see what we think here if I play that back at 30 frames a second. What do you think? I think it's it's okay, but I think the I think it jumps up a little bit too high, and I think when it does so, I think it should do that not within five frames. I think it should it should do that uh, quicker. That's that's my feeling. I think it should it should. Uh, I think the height is, is a little bit too high, so we're going to make the height a little bit lower. So when it falls down, it doesn't it doesn't jump quite so high anymore. It kind of just bounces, and it'll it'll do that slightly quicker. Let's see how we can make that happen. So on the when on frame thirty here, 
Yes, that's a good idea. Exactly. Over fewer frames. I think that's a good idea. So we'll go. Let's let's stick with frame 30 here. I'm just going to go and make that slightly less high, perhaps just a little bit less high. And then it should reach it should reach that point. In fact, a few frames earlier as well. So I'm going to go and put it here. Go to this keyframe, just delete that and say on frame 30, I'd like it to reach the floor already look at it through the front view so I can do my alignment alignments a little bit better. And then we go maybe back up with two frames, maybe with three frames, maybe with three frames. Okay, let's do that with three frames coming down here, boom. And then at frame at frame 35, I think I'd like to, I'd like to be on the floor already. And then just leave it there. I think that may just look a little bit better. That looks a little bit more natural, I think. I think I'm happy with that. I think I'm going to leave it like that. So you can, of course, fiddle endlessly with this and um, and add all kinds of other imperfections to this. But I think for for just uh, to to get to get going with this, I think this is a good good way to get started. Now this only animates the number five. It doesn't animate anything else in our in our timeline right now. But this is uh, this is done with keyframes. And to turn that into an any block, all we need to do then is uh, we can park the playhead on the first frame and head over to our animate timeline here. And that looks very different. It also has this little white uh, blob here, and that is um, exactly the same as the uh, total duration currently. If we move that further to the left or right, then we would expand or shorten the animation in its entirety. So it's kind of nice to have that functionality without having to type in a number on the regular timeline. But um, uh, mainly what we what we currently have on the animate timeline is um, uh, nothing. So <laughs> to make that happen, let's go and click that plus sign here. When you do that, you create a new track on the animate timeline, from what I understand. And uh, what's important then is that you need to have one object selected that you're going to create that track for. So uh, with the five selected, if I click that plus, I get number five. And that is, in fact, the title of my object here. It's currently completely empty uh, and we could add keyframes directly to the any block here. But because we've already created a regular keyframe animation on the timeline, we can also click anywhere in this empty space here. Once we've created a track, anywhere in this empty space here and right click and uh, choose create any block from studio keyframes. And that will in fact create an any block that we can then save away. Conversely, if we had an any block or an animation created with any blocks and we would like to uh, transfer that to the timeline and create keyframes from it, we can use this bit here, bake to studio keyframes. So that is the opposite of what we're going to use now. This is good if you've created a walk animation with a character and you, now you'd like to export it from Dash Studio into a different application. Then you can use this and then you've got classic keyframes on the timeline, one keyframe at every frame. And then you can export that using the MDD format or a series of OBJs or whatever, whatever you want to do. FBX will work. So we're going to go and do uh, create any block from studio keyframes. 
it only takes one second actually there's one other dialogue that pops up which asks us do you want a direct copy for example good for bvh import data or do you want to transform to objects point of view for example bake and create Yes, biscuits, that is really handy because uh, animate is such a cool tool. But sometimes we just don't want to. Uh, we just don't want to render in Das Studio. We've got other solutions. Like imagine doing this in Unity. You know, doing a walk animation in real time. That's a cool idea. Or using Eevee's render engine in Blender. That's you know, the possibilities are literally endless. On this note, actually, by the way, if you do export a keyframe animation from Das Studio, sometimes um, if you you can you, you can use FBX that's built into Das Studio, but sometimes you may want to use MDD. So Marvelous Designer, for example, works really well with MDD, and MDD is a format that is supported by the Animate plugin, but only by the full version. So Das Studio comes with Animate for 30 days when you select when you install Das Studio for the first time. You have the full version. Of animate for th for 30 days but then it turns into animate light and i remember that mdd is one thing that is uh, that's that's one thing that's missing from the light version so uh if you're interested in that uh, i do recommend the full version it's when it's on sale it's 30 bucks so it's not bad so I'm not really sure what the difference between these two options is here, but uh, in my tests, transform to objects POV works well. You can exclude certain things from being uh, put into a block. So scale and morph values are disabled by default. But if you've used those things in, if you scale anything in the animation, in the, in the uh, keyframes and make sure these things are selected. We don't have that. We only have translation and rotation. So we'll keep it simple. Once we click done, we've got this uh, one lone unnamed AniBlock on our animate timeline. Now look what happened on the regular timeline. All our keyframes are still here, but oh, actually there, as soon as I move the playhead, all the keyframes disappear. Only the first one is still here. And that's because even though I'm moving the timeline slider now, the control of this object is now happening via animate. So uh, we can, let's, let's uh, zoom in here. And then this is a little bit bigger. So this is now the same scrubber here. And it also noticed that after just over a second, there was really no other keyframe. So even though our total duration of the animation is two seconds, uh, there's nothing happening here. So it recognized there's no point in building the AniBlock further than that. So uh, with that AniBlock here now, doing all the control of the number five, let's go and save it so that we can reuse it on other objects. And that's really easy by right-clicking on it and saying save as new. There's also save for legacy animate. Animate went, for, went through several um, iterations, shall I say. The original animate, which was great, then that was replaced a year later by something called animate plus. If you ever see an references to that, that was another project. And then a year or two later, they've brought out animate two. And that I believe came out during the Genesis two era and um, it's not changed since then so there have not been any software updates for the last 10 like five six years as far as i remember so it's one of those um, products that's kind of it could do with more features could do with slightly better documentation but that documentation by the way let me go and get a link for you there it's gofigure3d.com and that's where you get all the ins and outs of how to use that program. 
I'll put that in the link in the in the chat now here. There we go. Just in case you need documentation for animate, that's where you can find it. So um, we go and save this as a new AniBlock. And it comes up with uh, a nice window here. And uh, it gives me uh, basically just uh, just the location of my DAS 3D library inside AniBlocks. And in AniBlocks, we have already one folder, which is Animate. And inside that, we have subfolders. And those subfolders, we can create our own here. So I'm going to go and just create a new folder and just say I'm going to call it uh, Numbers so that we stick with it. And inside numbers, I can go and save my, my thing now. You can save it anywhere else. You can save it literally here or in any of these pre-made folders, or you can create your own folder. But I'm gonna go and uh, create my own folder called numbers, and I'm gonna call it uh, Falling. Like that track from Twin Peaks. <laughs> Julie Cruz, if you remember that. Very cool. And um, that directory will eventually show up in here on the on the bottom left so there's my numbers and if I go in there I've got my AniBlock right here and even better when when you when you hover over something like this you can see that the number or the object that you've got selected will get a preview of what this animation is going to look like on the with that AniBlock applied so if you had several you can just uh, hover over several and think well which one is it that I want to apply so right now I'm going to go and select the second number zero here and I'm going to go and hover over this and uh, interestingly number five does the does the previewing why is that I wonder oh yeah because I haven't haven't selected a haven't created a track for number zero yet so with the zero selected I need to press that number the, the plus button again and now we have two tracks the five and the zero so with that now selected I think does the number zero do its thing yes it does it doesn't go to the front, to the top just yet, but look what happens when we go and drag this AniBlock over to the zero track. And now we have the five and the zero, actually the zeros also, it starts from where it is. So that's that's interesting, I didn't quite know that. It does make sense, but yeah, it, it uh, I didn't quite know that. So what I guess what we'll need to do then is with the zero selected and perhaps with the perspective view we can go and move the zero up to where the five is so outside the frame we can probably even go and do that with the other two zeros and just move them all up because I guess that's where they're starting from there so now if I were to move my timeline there we go now both of these numbers fall down that's exciting Biscuits, thank you very much for the 99 cents. I appreciate that. That's very exciting. Thank you. I love it when this happens. Guys, you are amazing. This is this is so cool. We're just hanging out. We're having a chat. This is this is awesome. What's not to like? I love it. Thank you for joining me. I do appreciate that. Now, if we were to go and apply, if we just stick with the zero here for a moment, if we were to use the same animation again, then it would just it would just look like this and it was maybe with a slight delay we can even make it in sync so then the five and the zero would happen exactly at the same time but perhaps we want to add a little bit of variation there so one easy variation is to just make the zero start falling a little bit later so that's already a tiny bit of variation in there and if we do that to every of our zeros then we would probably have uh, an interesting animation going already so perhaps we can do that let me go and select the next zero 
add another track and add this zero here add the third zero add another track and use our same animation put that on here and just you know do that maybe with a with the slide something like this so they're slightly staggered here and then that would be my animation I can see that the last zero probably needs to start a little bit higher because it looks like it's sinking into the ground a little bit but um, you know other than that I think we're kind of we're, we're getting somewhere let me do that right now at the I need to be at the beginning of the timeline for that to make sense yeah I can see that zero is a little bit it's just a little bit uh, too low so there we go let's try that again so that's a cool animation already i can i can on top of this i could now animate the camera so that the camera goes from kind of left to right around the number a little bit that would be kind of cool maybe we'll do that at the end but uh, for now i'd like to add a little bit more variation into the falling number so perhaps we're going to leave the number five as it is and the second zero let's focus on the second zero here i'm going to go and select that and I'm going to go and click on this anti-block, which is currently the same anti-block. But now that I've clicked it, I'm getting all kinds of other scary options here. And they're not exactly self-explanatory unless you really know what they mean. So uh, this is the frame count here. This is a regular play and uh, front and loop or not loop. Uh, this will go into later. Uh, this here is the speed percentage. And that's an interesting one because it's it doesn't really work the way you'd expect it to work uh, it works the other way around so with it we can ask the animation to play back faster or slightly slower so the same animation uh, played back faster you'd imagine put maybe perhaps 200 percent in there but if i do that then i can see that um, actually yeah that's exactly what happens the, the animation is happening now at twice the speed so our first zero is going to arrive at the floor literally at with 200 percent speed so uh, i'm thinking perhaps i'm gonna uh, 200 maybe a little bit much there uh, i'm gonna go and stretch it out a little bit so perhaps uh, 50 would mean and you can see that by the length of the anti-block already this anti-block is now twice the duration of the other anti-blocks this means that my second zero will take twice the amount of time to fall but it will do the exact same animation still so that's kind of that's exciting about that so I, I need to probably extend my play range a little bit more so that that is being played out correctly here. So both 200% as well as 50% may be a little bit over the top. So uh, you can loop it. Yes, we're, we're going to get to looping. Exactly. Yes, you can totally do that. Um, I'll, I'll show you in a moment how to do that, uh, Biscuits. Uh, maybe this i'm going to go and make it 120 percent and then the next zero here i'm going to maybe start making that 80 percent so now we have uh, the same animation but with differences of varying degrees of arriving and bouncing so that's kind of an interesting an interesting one as well let's go and move that play range to about here again and see what that looks like It's getting there it's getting there i think perhaps i would like the the this this guy here maybe that needs to start earlier if it takes so much longer and perhaps maybe i'll making that 90 percent and then we'll go and see what that looks like 
this variation four four objects animated differently from the same source animation that's kind of interesting it's very cool I'm going to do a little bit more variation in a moment. Perhaps I'm spinning or tilting, and I'm going to show you how to edit the anablocks inside or edit the keyframes inside an anablock. But I just want to quickly answer Biscuit's question about how to loop things. So there's, there's two ways. The first way is that uh, if we just switch off the zeros here and just stick with the number five, the first thing that you can do to loop things I'm going to expand the play range here a little bit more uh, is to literally extend the anti-block so click into it once and then you can extend the anti-block and when you do that you get occasional black lines here and that's the point at which the anti-block starts looping so that's very interesting it does so by utilizing the end position of the previous anti-block as the starting position of the next anti-block if that makes sense so in our case it means the five doesn't it doesn't continuously fall from the top it falls from here to there and then it starts falling from here further down so that's good for walking blocks um, let me go and show you that on the front view So it goes from here down to here, and now it goes further down, and then it goes further down. So that's kind of how uh, how that works. Whoops, sorry, I'm going to show you that again. Sorry, I wasn't uh, I wasn't on the right camera here. So it goes from here, and then it goes to here, and then it goes even further down. So that's one way that you can loop it. Uh, if you don't want that to happen, there's also a way to to tell animate how to do that um, that is something you need to click into the anti-block once so that all the scary options come up here and then there's these two options here that are used for that the first one is reorient start that's basically the the function that that does that so reorient start is currently set to on it is on by default but if we switch that to off then this phenomenon doesn't happen if one anti-block finishes and you put another one next to it so you could technically do that. We currently looped the same anti-block, but it would be exactly the same if I were to go and take this anti-block and put that next to it. So that would be that's also a form of looping. So you go and uh, and attach one anti-block to the next, and they then blend into one another. So it's very very cool what happens under the hood there. So um, that is avoiding to reorient the start when you put another anti-block uh, at the back. So right now that hasn't changed what we're experiencing. We're experiencing the same thing, but it happens inside the same anti-block. So in order to do that, you can use the second option, which is this one here, reorient loops, which is the same as this, but it works if you extend an anti-block and if the anti-block kind of loops onto itself again. So once again, you click that and you say off. And now if we go and play that animation at the looping point, whoops, at the looping point, what happens is that the start isn't reoriented and it goes back to the zero frame. 
but yes for i blinks perfect absolutely perfect for that and then you have one uh, blink any block and you just go out just extend that the 30 seconds that my animation takes that's exactly what that's good for also for walk cycles you've got one walk cycle and then you just put that extend that and the figure just keeps walking and walking this is exactly how uh, why that is such a cool tool one thing I've just uh, I've just shown you that I've put a second anti block here on the timeline next to this one. If you ever want to delete an anti block, don't use the delete button on your keyboard because that still deletes the currently selected object and with it all other attached animations. So in order to just delete a single anti block, you have to select the trash can icon here. I think it's because they can't really go and uh, override how the keyboard works. I'm going to go and bring this back to a single uh, anti block. It snaps right to the to where the looping would begin and end. So I'm just going to go and snap that in here. And that's that. I'm also going to go and bring back my other numbers so that we can see how else we want to add a variation into our into our number sequence here. Well, let's go and look at that through camera 1. You're very welcome, Biscuits. You're very welcome. Uh, sometimes you want to just amend something inside an anti-block. Right now we've got the same anti-block in four different variations already, but perhaps the second zero here, when that bounces, maybe I'd like, I'd like for it to kind of twist a little bit over that way. And what we can do there is uh, to edit the actual keyframes inside the anti-block. It's very exciting stuff. So to do that, we focus on the second zero here and we click on the anti-block of the second zero. And it says now double click for keyframes. And when we do double click on that again, so click in first, then click in one more time, then we can see that we get these little blue keyframes here. And those are in fact the positions at which something happens to the number zero here. Maybe just to make it a little bit easier for us to see, I'm going to go and switch off the five and the other two zeros so that we just go, oops, that was the plane, that we just go and, and just look at the one zero here. That's probably a little bit easier for us to, to see what's going down there. Well, that's interesting. What have I done now? Something's moving. Oh, it's because I'm on the camera. Oh, that's terrible. Okay, I didn't want to do that. This is what I meant earlier. That's that's not that's never good. So I accidentally put a keyframe in the camera, I guess. I didn't mean to do that. Maybe I can just go get rid of that. Yeah, or just set up another camera. I really don't know where that is happening now. So okay, that's that. We'll we'll stick with the we'll stick with the perspective view and we'll just go and and worry about that that camera setting it up again in in a moment I guess <laughs> it does happen and sometimes you just don't know where what happened yeah in fact let's go and get rid of the camera right now there so um, yes yeah, so with that zero double clicked in here so that we can see the keyframes we can now perhaps when the number falls down. I like the number to be twisted a tiny bit over. So uh, just moved over like that. And just like before, if I tweak the starting position, uh, that really doesn't do anything just yet. Oh, come on. Maybe I'm 
mustn't be in keyframe mode. So in order to get out of keyframe mode, I think you just go and uh, click something else. There we go. Let's go to the beginning again and try to tweak that to about here. Does it fall into a different position now? I think it does, doesn't it? No, I can't tell. Yes, that's interesting. It falls into a different position now. So that's not exactly what I want. But at the end, when the animation is over for this, for this zero, I can make sure I can shift that position whoops, over to where I'd like that number to be again. I don't really know why that's happening. And then it jumps around. I don't have a good feeling about this. Well, <clears throat> I guess the easiest way to rectify the situation then is to just remove that zero and use another one. Get out of keyframe editing mode and select that any block, get rid of it. And now we have a new starting position of that zero twisted. Let's see what happens if we just drag another falling anti block on it. And just like before, we're just going to make that. I think that was about 80. Oh no, that was about 110, was it? Yeah, it's slightly faster. See what happens now. That could be, that could be David, object versus local coordinates, that could be. Maybe that is, that's exactly why that's happening. I'll try this one more time. If it's, if it is that easy a fix, then yes, maybe it is, maybe it is. Let's see if we can fix it. So I'm going to go and delete that uh, anti-block again, go to the beginning. And uh, to change that, that's actually it's a very good question, David. Uh, that is happening under tool settings. And with the tool that we're currently selecting, which is a 3D manipulator here, uh, we can... Uh, so tool settings, by the way, if that's not open, if you don't see that, it's under Windows, Panes, and then you can, uh, you can pick it up from here under tool settings. I'm sure it has a shortcut key, which escapes me right now, but I'm sure it has one. In here you get use world coordinates versus use local coordinates. So if we use local coordinates, we can see immediately that the little gizmo changes position. So let's see what happens if we're on local coordinates. And now we're going to go and add that falling anti-block in again here. It still doesn't do that. I wonder why. It doesn't really make that much sense, does it? Huh. Yeah, that is something I hadn't quite anticipated. Let me go and get rid of the whole object, in fact. Terrible. I'm going to go and uh, take that zero here, just duplicate that, edit, object, Oops, a duplicate nodes. 
that is now my zero. I'm going to put, place that back where that was before. Or not. Why can't I do that? Huh. Anyway, I'm just going to go move that into position here. And perhaps with local coordinates selected already, I'm going to give it a slight tweak, just a minor, minor tweak, something like that. And now with that zero selected, I'm going to go back down here on uh, the animate timeline, add another track, drag the falling thing on here. And it's happening again. Why, I wonder? Oh, really? Thank you for your subscription, Michael. Thank you very much. That's very exciting. I didn't see that. You saw that? Animation came up? Animation came up. Fantastic. Yeah, so why that's happening, um, I, I, don't, I don't really know. It's got to it's gotta be something to do with the way I'm tweaking that object. So that's the whole purpose of this is, of course, that when you do that, it's not supposed to happen. So let's go and duplicate that object one more time and try out what happens when we don't tweak it at the top there and just tweak it at the bottom once it's already fallen. Uh, we learn through repetition, don't we? So it's good to do these, these things many, many more times. Okay, so that looks fine. That looks fine and dandy. Uh, with this, I, I believe we said, uh, was it 110? Yeah, make it slightly faster. Okay, so if the top tweak doesn't work, let's use a bottom tweak. So I'm going to focus on that zero again. I'm going to double click into the AniBlock again, and I'll go and see that at the bottom here, maybe when this thing jumps, when it, when it hits the floor right here, I'd like it to be up and then just twist a little bit and as soon as I do that you can see that animate is adding another keyframe in here so the blue things were probably the uh, the falling down rotations I would imagine or the, 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 the translation uh, along the whatever the blue axis is and now the green is I guess the rotation in whatever I've done to the green axis maybe I haven't really done that to the green axis so perhaps the color coding doesn't make any sense at all and then it bounces and perhaps when it comes up again, I'd like for it to go the other way, like so. Do that, something like that maybe. Let's see what that animation looks like in its full turn here. It's kind of working for me. I like it. I like it. Perhaps then in order to uh, for that to be for that to be more variation in there, I'm going to do the same thing to the second zero. So let's select the second zero, click on that AniBlock, double click into that and see if we wanted to do something similar. Perhaps that zero, I don't know. I think maybe just slightly before it falls down, perhaps we can make it so that it's just falling over the other way, perhaps changes position to about here. And when it's in the air, we're just going to go and twist it up like that a little bit. Let's see. Okay. I think we're getting somewhere. This is nice. 
Perhaps um, while we're in a tweaking mood, I'd like to I'd like to do something to the five. So perhaps when the five goes and falls down, perhaps I'd like the five to spin this way. Um, and we're going to also do that as soon as it hits the ground. So double click that keyframe. Whoop, double click, click it, click it once, click it twice. And now the five is on the ground. Perhaps it stays there. And when it goes and moves up, this is when we're going to go and spin it around just a little bit like that. Maybe move it over here. And then it goes and falls down, maybe spins around even more as soon as it's back up. And more over here. And when it's at the end, I think we're just going to have to leave that in that position there. Mm, the positional thing isn't something I I appreciate. I don't think. Let's, let's see what it let's see what it looks like. Yeah, it kind of it's it's cute. It's okay. It's not bad. It's not bad. Let's put a tiny bit of variation in the last zero, and then I think I think then we're then we're done for the day. Oh, sorry. Thank you, Julia. Sometimes it's a shame that we're on such a delay here. I've been thinking of doing something on uh, on Microsoft Mixer. Uh, Mixer has it's another streaming service owned by Microsoft, and what they do is they have so currently on YouTube and on Twitch we have about six to ten seconds of a delay and that's the delay that happens between something happening here and it arriving on your screen at home but uh, Microsoft they have a system called mixer that's a, it's another streaming platform and in in their, their protocol whatever they're using is called the faster than light protocol and that's kind of interesting because the delay is literally less than one second. So whatever's happening here is happening on your screen right away. So that makes interactions very, very cool. So uh, rather than you having to wait 10 seconds to see something that's just happened, you can, you know, chip in right away. So I want to conduct some tests there. Maybe we can use that in the future for some for some exciting things. Be quite interesting, I'm thinking. I'm just going to go and rotate this a little bit uh, here. Yeah, it doesn't have to be big, but you know, a little bit of variation is kind of cool. And I suppose if I was the zero, then I guess I would perhaps change as soon as I bounce down. So that doesn't look bad at all. I'm thinking I like to see this rendered out and uh, perhaps uh, I can show it to you. I can share it with you uh, as my new channel trailer. So, uh, yeah, that's that's something I might do. The only other thing now when we're just parking this in the in the final position here is the lighting. I believe I've, I've got rid of the camera. So let me just go and create a new uh, camera with the perspective view so that we can we can tweak that without interfering with our with our view. We can even animate it, go uh, move the camera from here to about here. Maybe that's a cool idea. Maybe I should do that. Uh, I think I'll do that last. So I'm going to go and make sure this this is uh, this is set up okay on frame zero. I think we need to make sure the camera. I see the camera's moving already. That's that's terrible. And what's even worse is. Oh, there we go. I need to select the camera to find my keyframes. That's why I didn't see the keyframes earlier. So uh, let's go and get rid of that keyframe. Park it on frame. Well, 
make sure we find a good position here and then we can we can doodle around with it so I suppose uh, if this is my first position I'm gonna go and lock it in here press the little plus sign here and by the end of the animation I may want my camera to be somewhere here slightly more zoomed in perhaps so that'll be just a very small camera move that's happening here in addition to everything else and maybe even at the at the end maybe I'll just I'll just zoom in like that there Great, and then we'll just go and, and leave it there for a little bit. I think we're going to go and make that animation a little bit, the whole uh, play range a bit longer, make that two seconds in total. Total 61. And then we can always freeze it after. Maybe we're going to go and uh, make that total of, uh, of 91, perhaps, and we give it one extra frame. And of course, with the camera selected, can we actually move a keyframe? No, we can't, can we? What a shame. Yeah, because maybe we'll just go and, and delete that keyframe, go to the very end of it, and just go and uh, just make that animation just a tiny bit longer than three seconds. Okay, let's look at the light just a little bit on the last frame here. I think that's a good... Uh, we probably need to do that on the last frame but I'm not going to do that in the camera I'm going to do that in the perspective view and uh, uh, the the way I did the light for this image was that the gold shader is already in place even though the subdivision surface modifier is uh, is not in place in our animation the uh, background that I'm using is in fact the sun and sky instead of the environment map so if we switch that over now to iray and give it a second we can see that there's a kind of this gray bit here at the top and in order to get rid of that we can go ahead and uh, enter our render settings under environment currently we're rendering the uh, we're not rendering the dome so that we can switch the dome on but this is now the environment map that we can see here and that's not really what I want I think I don't I don't like that I also don't like the the thing that we see at the at the back here we can instead of uh, the dome and the scene we can say uh, sun and sky only and that'll mean we're going to replace the environment map with an actual just the sky dome so once we do that you can see the environment map goes away and this is now the just basically what the what the light emulation would look like for a certain time of day and a certain position on the planet earth i guess and the way to uh, to adjust that is slightly further down um here on uh, uh there it starts the ss i think there's also a sub menu here it's a dorm is it possibly dorm uh, it starts slightly further inside dome so maybe there we go sun sky there we go it has its own menu there very good so inside that we have uh, the latitude and the longitude so you can pick a place on the planet of what place you'd like to emulate you can emulate a day and a time so even though six o'clock in the evening in i guess october 3rd of October in 2015 is uh, is already in the evening I'd like it to be a little bit more orange and even more dark so perhaps instead of six o'clock let's try eight o'clock 
and that is uh, that's maybe a little bit too dark already so if i if i leave it even later than that i suppose nine o'clock would mean yeah it's just darkness okay i don't really want to do that so perhaps perhaps i'm going to try seven thirty maybe seven Seven is good. Seven p.m. is good. You can also uh, choose something more or less in the in the middle of the day. Then things will be a little bit more blue. That's also interesting. But I don't think I want to do that. I think seven o'clock was was kind of what I'm looking for. It's kind of golden, and uh, that's that's nice already as a start. But I can also I can still see that there's a this this. Um, edge of the horizon at the back here and I suppose the easiest way to get rid of that would be to have a look at our scene uh, with depth of field enabled so I don't know how my camera is going to react to that if I switch it on on the last frame we'll have to we'll have to play with it uh, but in essence on the camera settings here I'm going to go and select well, let me just go get rid of that timeline there we go is that, can, can you see that all right I hope you can. Maybe I need to do this rather. See, I'm waiting for my return to come back to see what what camera section I need to what what scene I need to post now. So, one of those things. Um, in camera, if you switch on depth of field here, then we get more parameters to play with, and it's most uh, most visible when I go and look at this from the top. So, in the top view, with my camera. I can see this is my camera now here and these are my numbers and these white lines from the front the middle to the back that is the area at which my depth of field is being rendered so my job now as a cameraman is to adjust the focal distance so if I do that with depth of field if that's switched off by the way then I only see the the last uh, plane of the camera and everything is going to be in focus but if I switch this on then I can go and adjust the f-stop which means the depth of fields being made shallower or wider so anything in between these white lines will be rendered in focus but I can also change the focal distance with which I can then change basically everything I can also change the focal length which will then uh, change the whole framing of the of the camera so it's a very nice visualization from the top to see what which of my objects are being rendered in focus so in my case i'm going to go and uh, leave the focal length in place or ish kind of you know from what i've what i've just uh, done here and i'm going to go and uh, adjust the focal distance so that all my numbers are in focus maybe add a bit more room here to that and then I'll see what it looks like. Yes, exactly, Biscuits. I was wondering about that as well. And it catches me out time and time again. It's terrible. <laughs> that is also an idea. Give the floor a blurred mask. I can do that. That's another idea. That's a possibility. Yeah, that's, that's a good idea, actually. Yes, either way will work fine. I think this is not quite as uh, depth of fieldy as I'd like it. So I'm going to make that even more depth of field there we go that's the that's the blurriness that's coming into the back and i think i can still see my my um numbers pretty much in focus there yeah see these are these are those types of things i i love sharing that with people and you know uh, everyone has one of those little tricks and this is why we all got to stick together you know mr weiss <laughs> 
So um, one thing that I've done now is, of course, I've made all these adjustments on the last frame of my scene. So I don't know if these things are now going to animate. Let's have a look uh, because they were not, uh, in fact, like that on the first frame. Yes, you see, this is this is the issue now. All these things have now animated. So they were not present on the first frame, which is terrible. So it's a... Uh, yeah, it's, it's a blessing in disguise. I like the camera move, but I really don't like the fact that everything here has, has animated. So I wonder if there's a way to copy all these things and paste them on another keyframe. That would be something I'd be interested in. I mean, I can copy this value. It's just focal length, distance, and f-stop. So I can copy each individual value and apply that on the first frame. But still, I mean, isn't there an easier way to do that? <laughs> that would be really nice, wouldn't it? Yes. Let's find out. Copy selected items. Ooh, okay. Let's find out, shall we? Copy that. Paste that here. That didn't work. What a shame. Can I select more than one item here? No, it doesn't work either. Okay, let's start with the f-stop. Let's make that an even 20 on the last frame. Then the focal distance, we're going to make an even 276. And the focal length, well, we're just going to make that 56. 56, 276, and 20. Okay. 56. 276, whoops, 276, and 20. And if we're lucky, that's not going to animate anymore. <laughs> okay, it's rude, but hey, it worked. I think that was it uh, for today. I think I think we've we've covered it all. I think we've covered everything I wanted to cover. I'm going to render this out. This is going to take a good few hours, I think, and I'm going to put that up as a new video. Probably make that my channel trailer, something like that, and you know, then we can see what this looks like uh, properly rendered. And um, you know, if you have any suggestions of how to make this animation better, please let me know. Uh, also, if you do have any questions and you can't quite think of them right now, then pop them in the comments, and uh, perhaps I can uh, use them as a topic for for next time uh, other than that yes you know that is if we can find something like that out that we can uh, that we can kind of copy everything from one keyframe and put that into another that'd be quite good or alternatively I mean that's the other thing that I'd like to figure out is uh, what happens if we go and move a keyframe that's currently also not possible I'd like to be able to do that so if I have something that I'm thinking like with with the with the bouncing numbers there before it would be really nice if we could see something like hey that keyframe just needs to be two frames to the left or to the right I don't think that's that's available not in uh, not in that studio anyway so if we can find out about that that'd be cool Yes, guys, have a great weekend. Thank you so much for joining me. And uh, let's do this again next Friday with another funky topic. I'm not quite sure what yet. But as I said, if you have any suggestions, please go and uh, let me know. Also, tomorrow I'm uh, doing another Subnautica stream. So join me for that. That's just an off-the-cuff chat about anything from 
graphics cards to tax returns and anything in between and of course enjoying the handsome graphics of the uh, Subnautica or let's just say the Unity uh, game engine that's a game that's been made in Unity and it looks absolutely fantastic we go underwater diving join me for that other than that have a lovely Easter as well uh, and um, and um, what's the button to press with the credits right that's the one uh, there we go I'll see you soon take care bye bye Thank you.